Hi, and welcome back to Second Chance Cinema with MC and Spro. I'm Rudy, the review reader. I'll be reading the review for TMNT, review by Megan Selling of TheStranger.com. Director, Kevin Monroe. All right, geek boy, I know what you're thinking. You're sitting there in your dank and depressing den of inequity with your fucking Star Wars, X-Men, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures filling every inch of available surface, and you're typing to your just as pathetic and lonely cyber buddies about how the new Ninja Turtle flick is totally going to suck because Shredder ain't in it. Well, let me tell you, nerdling, it doesn't suck at all. Aside from the shittier-than-shitty soundtrack, Cobra Starship, Pepper, and Cute is What We Aim For? Seriously? Even geeks and eight-year-olds don't dig that crap. This generation's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is just fine. April O'Neil is still there, and she's as hot as ever. So you still got that computer-generated fantasy to drool over, and among the crop of new bad guys, Shredder's dead, remember? There's also this smoking little ninja chick who's sure to give you a geek boner. The turtles still eat pizza, they still skateboard, they're still totally badass. So relax and stop crashing your hard drive sending thousands of hate-fueled IMs to all your 30-year-old friends who still live with their parents. The movie's just fine. You're a jackass with issues. <laughs> and now, here's MC and Spro to tell you why you should give this delightful film a second chance. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another radical episode of Second Chance Cinema. I am your host, MC. The Cowabunga, I am Spro. And we are here to talk about a movie that is not only appropriate, given the pop culture swirl of Ninja Turtles as of late, but a movie that is near and dear to my heart in many ways, and a movie that, like all the movies on this podcast, went under the radar and deserved to be checked out again. Of course, I'm talking about 2007, mm -hmm. right? 2007's yep. TMNT, the CGI animated Ninja Turtles movie that, as I recall, came out of nowhere. This was one of the movies that I remember driving past the theater that I lived near in Connecticut and seeing it on the marquee before I had ever heard that it was going to be a movie. And so it was such a pleasant surprise. It was, it, it stopped me where, you know, I was driving and I probably hit the brakes irresponsibly because I saw it and had to go check out what that was. And it's a movie that certainly is not perfect, but I think it underscores just how serviceable the Ninja Turtles property can be to such a wide variety of audiences. Oh, absolutely. And I kind of want to like, because this was, even though you talk about how Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original one is your favorite movie mm -hmm. of all time. I kind of like Trojan horse this episode because I kind of, I want to talk about this film. I want to talk about all the films and I want to talk about like what's coming up mm -hmm. too. But I would love to talk about that. <laughs> <clears throat> but like with this film, you're right. Like it did come out of nowhere. But in the same instance, nowadays, I'm super excited for like Mutant Mayhem too because of this film mm -hmm. and because of what they're doing with like Across the Spider-Verse, like the Miles Morales uh -huh. of Spider-Man. Because yeah. if you look at 
the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then you look at TMNT, and then you look at where animation is going, I think with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, animation and what they can do now fits the personality and like the look of Turtles probably much more than the live action did in a way, and especially much more than what Michael Bay tried to do. I think the when I was driving over here, I thought of how many iterations of Ninja Turtles there are. There's the original comic back from the 80s, which started as a spoof on superheroes. It was sort of a re- ridiculous notion, um, you know, this this amalgam of all these words that get more and more ridiculous as you say them. Teenage and then mutant and then let's add ninja and let's fuck it let's make them turtles <laughs> and that's kind of what it was it started it started not as a joke but as something not to be taken seriously and with the reverence that it is today and then it evolved into the cartoons the movies and video games video games and since then it's become this property that just exists in so many different demographics and in so many different meaningful entertainment pop culture landmarks the mm-hmm. movies were revolutionary i mean the the it is my favorite movie for a bunch of different reasons life reasons not just entertainment reasons but the the creature effects the puppetry the costumes the tone all that stuff that is a movie that I could honestly, I could probably write a dissertation about that movie and just the the themes and the, and whether or not they were intentional, who knows, but the themes and the, the, the concept of family and, you know, being an outsider and all that stuff, it's just so brilliant. And then, you know, the cartoons appeal to a different part of me when I was a kid. They were silly, they were funny, they were bright and bold and all that kind of stuff. And then if you look at all the different iterations that have come since then, there have been cartoons, there have been live action TV series and movies, there have been combinations of the two, there have been more video games, more figures. And it's not like, it doesn't seem like it's a a cash grab each time. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's something genuinely different about each version that gives a new audience an entry point. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that has always bugged me is when a new version of Transformers or G.I. Joe or Ninja Turtles, whatever, comes out and you have all the people who are saying, oh, it's ruining my childhood. You know, like, and my response to that is, well, you're not a fucking child anymore. (laughs) It's not your childhood. It's somebody else's childhood right now. Let them have Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is remarkably different from what we grew up with, but is still really good. Let them have the 2003 animated version, which is which I just purchased the complete season and started watching again, and is like a really really good blend of the darkness of kind of the original comics and the original movie with the fun of the animated series. There are just so many ways you can modify this recipe, like this the. the is it 11 or 7 herbs and spices? 11 from KFC? Oh, I don't know. I know there's 32 Baskin-Robin flavors. Okay, we'll go with that. So, <laughs> so you, there's just so many ways you can arrange the third. No, there's 31. 31 flavors. Well, if you know somebody. Oh, shit. <laughs> so so there are so many ways that you can, that you can, you continue to impress me <laughs> all the time with Elliot Ness's coffee table, your hookup at Baskin Robbins, man. There, my point being, there are so many ways you can arrange the ingredients to make something new and delicious each time. It's like the crazy pizzas they always order. 
Yeah. You know, cotton, oh my gosh. cotton candy and cornflakes on a pizza shouldn't work, but Michelangelo makes it look <laughs> fucking tasty, right? So two things, we, two things on what you just said. One, I don't mind the Michael Bay versions. Like, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Of like, well, it's not your childhood anymore. It's just a new iteration. The only thing that really bothers me about the Michael Bay ones is they, they're not teenagers. They look like they're so jacked. They're like full grown men. Right. There like, are there are plenty of nitpicks to make about those movies. They are they, empirically they are not great movies. But I, what I remember about them is seeing the trailers, learning they were going to come out, calling my mom and saying, "Hey, can we go see that together?" Like we saw the one in 1990, mm-hmm. and I had a fucking blast. Oh, I'm sure. I don't think I saw them in the theater. I was living in LA though, and like the. I forget which movie company it was, but it, I mean, like the poster was huge. Oh yeah, it for was the an second event. one, Out of the Shadows. Mm-hmm. It was um, an event. Yeah, so that was super cool. And then the second thing, the pizzas. Mm-hmm. It is my life goal <laughs> to make a pizza. I know what you're gonna. <laughs> that looks like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pizza. We've talked about this before. Yeah. It's like when. Bugs Bunny spit roasts a carrot and then takes a bite out of it. And you're like, that carrot looks delicious. I know. I can't think of like many other uh, foods and movies. I want to, and one that's super easy, but I want to just take one bite is the Ali Sheedy sandwich from Breakfast Club, where she's like putting like, she just takes oh, her. Oh, the, the chips and stuff? Yeah. And like, yeah. she like throws the ham and she puts pixie sticks. Yeah, that's and right. Like, yeah. Oh, the pixie sticks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I want to try that sandwich. And then like Ross has this whole thing about like, Thanksgiving leftover moist maker sandwich. He calls it the moist maker or whatever. But Who's it's Ross? Ross from Friends. Oh. Did I not say Friends? No. Okay. That's okay. Well, I'm glad yeah. that you corrected that. You see, my, my sister makes these amazing turkey sandwiches. Her secret is she puts a, an extra slice of gravy-soaked bread in the middle. I call it the moist maker. But the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pizza, I was looking at it in TMNT, and I was like, it kind of looks... At least the sauce is like the Chef Boyardee sauce from like those pizza packs. Mm-hmm. You know, like that box, that red box. Oh, yeah, box yeah. There. Yeah, so it looks like that sauce. So then it's just how to nail everything else. The best TMNT pizza scene, hands down, is TMNT 2, Secret of the Use. The opening credits are a montage of people eating Ray's pizza in New York. I think it's Ray's or Roy's. I don't remember. I think it's Roy's actually because Ray's pizza is real. And so they spoofed it. So it's Roy's. And you just see all these people like there's a couple on a date and they kiss and then they each turn away and take a bite of this giant slice of New York pizza. There are two cops with a guy in handcuffs and like one of them is eating the pizza with the guy's hand in the handcuffs. Um, and it just it looks so good. It's it's the best best Ninja Turtles pizza scene. Ever. So are they saying, like, if you want Ninja Turtle pizza, it's going to be Ray's Pizza in New York? In this case, I believe it was Roy's Pizza, but, but they, they've gone all over the place. I mean, in the Michael Bay movies, they, uh, they product placed Pizza Hut. Yeah, Pizza Hut. No. In the, in the, in the first, <laughs> which there are no Pizza Huts in New York City. <laughs> oh, really? Nope. No Pizza Huts in New York City. I got one down the street. But that's not... I would never be, like, looking at the cartoon... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I would never be like, that's Pizza Hut. And the first one, uh, the 1990 movie, was Domino's. Yeah. So, the point being, we're sitting here talking about pizza literally because of the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. And I think that just speaks to the fact that they are going to exist until the end of time in one form or the other. And I'm super excited about it. Yeah. And this movie is 
it's not the best, it's not the worst, but it is a breath of fresh air that came out of nowhere. And, and that's hard to talk like, about it. I think it's it's I think it's my second favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The original. Oh, okay. The original. I and really with the original, like I don't think they the original just nails it all, right? Like like you're saying, it nails the practical effects, the animatronics, the the personalities, the characterization, the darkness with the lightness. You know, like it nails everything really well. Where with like Secret of the Ooze and the third one was it was just called three. It was it's just called three, but like travel back in time. Turtles in time. Yeah. Turtles in time. Yeah. That one, I think I liked Turtles in Time more than Secret of the Ooze. And then like the Michael Bay ones are great in their own right. But this one, TMNT, I think nails the personalities as much as the OG one did. You could say, I really like the, we should do the poetry. Cause I, I was, was about to go like, I really like the end scene. No, I was going to let you go. I was going to let you go and then say, all right, let's get down to business. Be- but, because TMNT is a direct sequel to Turtles in Time, which I'm just going to call it for this episode. Because at the end of TMNT, he has the shelf with everything. Right. I, I think it's, yeah, I don't know if it's officially a sequel, but there's definitely a crossover. It's definitely there. like a fourth, you know, it's in kinda, the series it's, or Yeah, it's kind of an unofficial, there's a word for that. What's that called? It's canon. Reboot? It's not a reboot. It's more of like a... I can't think of the word for it. (laughs) But yeah, let's get down to business. The Wheel of Poetry. Should I... I'm going to tag in my friend Chet Poetry here, and he's going to explain the Wheel of Poetry. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's me, Chet Poetry. So, in a few minutes, we're going to have six different kinds of poems on the wheel, and Spro and MC are going to spin it, and whatever it lands on, they're going to have to write a poem while we play the trailer. And here's the type of poetry we got. We got limerick poems. We got ABAB poems. We got haiku poems. We got toast slash roast poems. We got song parody poems. And the last one we got acrostic poems and if you can think of a better type of poem to write about tmnt write it and email us or something (laughs) how was that that was good i feel good doing that because i listened to the hancock episode the other day and rudy explicitly gave us permission to do that yeah so i feel better about that so i thought of a new poem oh for it but i didn't think of the new poem we actually did poetry back in season one like i was I put everything in order to be re-released on August 18th. So, like... Look at you. You're so industrious. <laughs> our, our whole... Because I'm so anal that, like, the fact that, like, season one and season two were mixed because mm-hmm. we re-edited it all. Mm-hmm. But August 18th, everything will be released, so it's in order. There was poetry that we did, and I don't know what we would call it, but pretty much it was, like, four lines and every line rhymed. It was in our day where... because. The whole poetry started with you just doing haikus. And then I got comfortable with it. I was like, let me try. And then we did haiku. And as soon as I jumped on, like, let me do haikus, you're like, all right, I'm going to do limerick. And I was like, okay. Oh, I don't (laughs) remember any of this. There was one time where I was like, I'm just going to write a poem. And then I was like, everything rhymed. And then this is how, like, the poetry just evolved. Let's see if there's a name for that. Off the top of my head, I would call it an AAAA poem, right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Poetry where all four lines rhyme. Checking the Google. Stanza. A quatrain. <laughs> Doesn't have to rhyme, but 
a, a rhyming quatrain. We could call it that. Rhyming quatrain? Rhyming quatrain. Let's right, save that I'll one add that to the, the wheel. <laughs> yeah. And let's just do that one today. Oh, no. Like, let's let's let fate decide. Oh, you want to? I almost want, like, the first time we do it to have Rudy on the show. Just so he, like, Oh, like, to have one of the, uh, the to guests. To have a guest, yeah. So they're like, well, I prepared all the other ones. <laughs> what the hell is this? So, all right. That's a good idea. We've just landed on, this is kind of appropriate, given the ties to feudal Japan and ninjutsu, (laughs) we've landed on haiku, which is a poem where we have three lines. The first line has five syllables, the second line has seven syllables, and the third line has five syllables. So we're going to play the trailer for 2007's TMNT. We're each going to write an awesome haiku, and then we will be back to discuss. Kawabunga. There's a legendary group of warriors that travels under the cover of darkness and fights for all those in need. But they have never been needed more than right now. You did see that up there? I've got a bad feeling. Between two worlds, every 3,000 years, the stars align, unleashing an army monsters. That can't be good. Beyond our universe. Within hours, we'll lose the city, but within weeks, the world. There is a brotherhood. Attack is one! That cannot be broken. Destroy them. Aren't you cute? You want a butt-kicking little fella? Got any moves left? Just this one! Did anyone get the license plate of that thing that hit us last night? It looked like your mom, dude! (laughs) Yeah, that would make her your mom too, Doofus. Nut. Not a bad trailer, though. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I don't remember the marketing or the buildup to this movie at all. It just came out of nowhere. Other than the top production companies, like, I don't know any movie that's coming out. I just stumbled across a couple on Amazon Prime because they just popped up in, like, the For You. But there's no commercials anymore. You know, like, you're not being inundated with this movie and this movie and this independent film and whatnot. Like, it's literally just Disney, Pixar, Marvel are the only movies that you're going to see that are coming out. I mean, all this stuff from Mutant Mayhem just came social. Yeah. But I can there guarantee, are, like, I never, I didn't see TMNT trailers in the movie theaters. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't remember that at all. I feel like I saw it on the marquee. I feel like I saw a poster and... It doesn't take much to get me to go see something Ninja Turtles, so I was pretty hooked from the beginning. But it was under the radar when it came out, and it's still among the, the I don't know, the TMNT fan community, I guess. And when I say that, I'm talking about comments I'll sometimes see on Reddit. It's a film that is, it's kind of a dark horse. Most people are, are very complimentary and are very positive when talking about it. But there's so few people talking about it that it just, it's not on anyone's radar. 
And it's crazy too, like the voice, like I didn't realize until today when I was just going through notes and whatnot, like it's Chris Evans as Casey Jones. It's a it's, it's Sarah a, Michelle Geller as it's like, Lawrence <laughs> Fishburne as the narrator for all of 30 seconds. There's a Kevin Smith cameo. Patrick Stewart. It's not, you know, it's not a thrown together effort. All right. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Sure. I'll go first. All right. I was trying to like come up with a meta one, but it didn't work. Teenage turtles fight amongst each other. And yet they still save the world. Perfect. Mine's sort of similar. Cowabunga, dude. Four turtles, four green brothers. Best turtle fight yet. And of course, I'm talking about Raphael versus Leonardo on the rooftop. We'll talk about that a little bit more. When we get to five questions, I want to turn the tables and do five questions for you. Because I have a bunch of like... Oh, shit. TMNT. Wasn't prepared for this. But Raphael in that suit. Mm -hmm. I know that there is an offshoot of TMNT, like a Ronin. Oh, that's different. Yeah. But this is like a Metal Ralph. Uh, so in this movie, this that's a character that was specifically, to my knowledge, specifically created for this movie where this is actually a good jumping off point. So we start the movie where the turtles are sort of dormant, split up almost. Leonardo is in South America mm-hmm. as the the ghost of the jungle is what he's colloquially known by, uh, known as by from the the villagers, and he's he's the first one that we catch up with because April is now working for Max Winters, who is just your typical sort of like rich guy who wants things has a has an ulterior motive. But in the beginning, she's down there scouting statues that he wants to buy and hears these legends and thinks that sounds familiar. That sounds like, you know, one of the turtles and she meets Leonardo. He saves her in the jungle and then they go into this whole setup of what the turtles are doing now. And we learn that Leonardo is down in the jungle because Splinter sent him down there to become a better leader or Mm -hmm. to find himself. Kind of like a wellness retreat, sort of, you know, (laughs) like one of those yoga retreats where you go do yoga with goats, but a little bit cooler. I do like how, I don't know what like the direction was or if he was just like go to South America, like just pointed him to a It wasn't very specific. It wasn't very specific. He may as well have said like just go. And and Leonardo ended up in in South America. Michelangelo is a party clown essentially. (laughs) Donatello is working tech support, which I remember seeing in the theater and it made me laugh, the whole interaction he has with the lady over the phone. And Raphael still has the bug, the crime fighting bug. Can't sit around and do nothing so he's adopted this persona of the night watcher which is basically him in a new costume of kind of like a tactical i was gonna say ninja but he's already a ninja so kind of like a tactical navy seal-esque outfit with a helmet and a motorcycle and a chain and all that kind of stuff and that's specific to this movie. The Ro- the last Ronin that you're talking about is a comic series that came out, I think, a couple years ago that just has to do... It's just another dark take on the Ninja Turtles where three of them are dead, Ooh. only one of them remains, and I won't spoil it, but you read through the comic and you figure out who the one is that's left and what has happened to him and how he survived and all that kind of stuff. It's very cool. And uh, again, just another example of how this property can be manipulated into new, awesome, engaging content. Yep. And as the movie carries on, April sort of encourages Leonardo to come back saying that the the family doesn't feel right without him. Like everybody's doing their own thing. It's not a family. It's not it's not the same as when he left. And so eventually Leonardo decides to come back and 
that's where we start getting into the dynamic of him versus Raphael in terms of who's the leader and who is taking orders from who and stuff like that. And then we start getting into the nuances of the plot where we learn that Max Winters is really an immortal general from thousands and thousands of years ago yeah who somehow cursed his other generals into stone so here's the thing this is my biggest problem with the way the movie unfolded because they start the movie with the prologue Mm -hmm. of this general Mm -hmm. who wanted immortality with his generals and to take over the world and conquer it and found the portal where the stars line up Mm -hmm. and every 3,000 years and opens the portal to allow immortality but the monsters got out and Mm -hmm. the generals turned to stone. So like I liked all that but it didn't have to be the prologue and I know why they put it in the prologue because the movie slowly unfolds of like where the turtles are and the crime fighting and everything Mm. and like so and then they like briefly revisit the prologue at the part where I think they should have just told us everything about Winters because as soon as you meet Winters you're like that's that's the that's the dude that's the immortal dude and it so there's no perception shift or whatnot I get it it's for kids mainly Uh, so you would have liked it twist yeah like twist. if it was for adults i think they would have been like sit back for the ride we're gonna we're gonna impress the shit out of you but for kids they had to grab the attention well that's kind of what really they did way. in the first one they introduced shredder and then through the exposition of splinter as he's telling his origin story first to april and then to danny he talks about his master's nemesis oroku saki and he keeps dropping these hints and eventually he tells the story of how he he was a rat in in the movie he started as a rat he jumps out of his cage and claws Roku Saki's mm-hmm. face and leaves all these scars and it's not until the end you as the viewer know you realize of course that's shredder but it's not until the end when shredder takes his mask off and you see the scars and Raphael says it's him that it's kind of like that light bulb so i get what you're saying yeah. i thought the Originally, I wasn't a fan of the whole monsters gimmick because I I was probably more in the camp of you're ruining my childhood (laughs) because I just thought, why not just use Shredder? You know why? Or even there were other villains, too. Why not just use one of them? Why create this new villain and why create this new backstory and this new mythology and all that? I thought it was cool that the monsters that were unleashed, and I don't know if you caught this because I didn't catch it the first couple times, are monsters that are cryptids. So like Bigfoot, Jersey Devil. I think one was... One was like a giant bat looking thing. I think one was supposed to be the Chupacabra or something like that. Mm. So they're all monsters that have relevance. They're not just made up, I suppose you could say. And I thought that that was kind of cool. It just wasn't explored as well as it could have been, I guess. Yeah, and I like the the dynamic of everybody in the film, right? Like, so you had the turtles. The biggest thing with like the turtles is they're heroes that have to hide, right? Like they're they're in the sewers, they're in the shadows. That's just their place in life. And then you have the immortal general who's trying to save his stone generals who are also trying to kind of mutiny him. And then you have the monsters, which are just monsters that everybody's trying to figure out, but you need to collect them all to throw them back in the portal. And then you have Karai, Mm -hmm. who was... Well, Shredder is dead now in this movie, but is Shredder's second in command? Do they say he's dead? I thought they implied it, but they didn't actually say it. I guess, yeah, maybe it's just implied. But she's running the Foot Clan, Mm -hmm. right? Like, she's running the Foot Soldiers. 
Foot Clan, Foot Soldiers? Both. Okay. She's super interesting. And she's the one that's like, we have honor as the bad guys or whatever. So we're going to do this and then that. And then, you know, like by the end of the movie, she's she's fighting with the turtles Mm -hmm. to help, you know, save everything going on. And then afterwards, she's like, truce is done. Like, we're now enemies again. Like, all those dynamics of who's bad and who's good and, like, our main bad guy actually like gets a good ending you know like Mm -hmm. there's so many dynamics to this movie that it makes it super interesting to me well he's a little bit sympathetic because you learn that he's immortal and anytime you have that trope it's the i'm miserable because i can't die Mm -hmm. i just want i just want to die i'm i'm tired i'm don't want to see any more of my friends get injured or die or whatever and he he's not a over-the-top villain in the way of I don't know why it popped into my head but I was going to say Clarence Boddicker from Roto, RoboCop <laughs> that was a big jump but that's who I thought of this he's not a he's not a over the top caricature cartoony villain he's Powers Booth <laughs> yeah yeah Powers Booth from from uh, Sun Death he's big and menacing and um, nefarious but he's not I don't know that I'd call him outright evil in the way that a lot of the other two-dimensional villains are. And not even, the, like, the monsters are just going to monster, right? Like, nobody in this film really, I think, like, the worst bad, not the worst, but, like, the baddest guy decision was when the generals are like, we're going to take this over, you know, like, and we're going to be immortal and be, you know, like, and be the main bad guys of this film. But until then, the general is just trying to correct the curse of immortality um, and put the monsters away. The Foot Clan is just trying to make sure that the world doesn't devolve into chaos. Like, there's nobody that's, like, supremely bad until the Stone Soldiers make that decision. And the Stone Soldiers, the three generals, three or four. I feel like it was a grouping. Right. Well, the okay, we'll do that. The group of generals, <laughs> it's, it's a Pandora's box, really, because Winters collects the statues, and that's part of the reason he's working with April, because she tracks down these stone statues, and then once he has them all... He's able to bring them back to life. And that's when they're kind of, they, they they are of the mission, you fucked us over, we're going to take back the world and all the time that we've lost and screw you. And that's when you realize that there's a bigger evil, not necessarily pulling the strings, but now it's been unleashed to the point where who's going to stop these guys? And it, it ends up not just being the Turtles, it ends up being a combined effort between the Turtles, April, Casey, the Foot Clan. And what you're saying, I think the the different dynamics, I think were a lot. I think there were a lot of layers that might have dissuaded people from enjoying the movie on a popcorn level. Yeah, because it's only 87 minutes. So all these layers are like, and this is happening, and then and really it's 87 minutes. The last half an hour of the movie is all fighting and action. Mm-hmm. So all this story is just pretty much being like thrown at you as fast as possible to all in. And the dynamic between, the, the most important dynamic is the one between the turtles mm-hmm. and, and the family unit. That's always that's always the, the, the meat of the turtle story. And it's typical that the dynamic between Raphael and Leonardo is adversarial. Raphael is very strong-willed and very bold and brash, whereas Leonardo is this leader character, but is reluctant. He's not sure he can be a good leader. He's not confident, and he's not sure why Splinter chose him to be the leader. 
And he has the patience that Raphael lacks. Raphael has the fearlessness that Leonardo might lack. So they have this antagonistic relationship that culminates in that fight scene. And to me, that's that's always been a very, very important part of the Turtles. That was a big deal in the, the original movie. Him and Raphael, Leonardo and Raphael have a fight. Raphael storms out, ends up getting jumped by the Foot Clan, ends up getting knocked unconscious. And there's the whole scene of him in the bathtub where Leonardo is holding vigil over Raphael, hoping he's going to be okay. And then they reunite and then they come back stronger than ever. And it's the same thing in this movie where, but but the roles are reversed Mm. where Raphael sort of tells Leonardo or or sort of uh, Raphael makes it so that Leonardo is in a vulnerable position and then has to come to the rescue. And again, it's just one of those things where the... The dynamic, the, the story's been told like that plenty of times before, and this was just a new with the with the the ad, the addition of the Night Watcher element and everything else going on in the story. It was just a new way to explore that relationship, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, definitely. If you had to give one adjective to every turtle, what adjective? Oh man, one personality trait. <sighs> okay, um, Leonardo, <laughs> honorable. Donatello, intelligent. Raphael passionate and Michelangelo endearing. I don't know if those are the I don't know if those are the best descriptors, but the, that's what I think of when I think of them. Nice. And I think this this movie showed all of those traits. Uh, Donatello was the one who came up with a lot of solutions, explained things about winters and all that sort of stuff. Michelangelo was he Michelangelo is always treated like the goofy kid brother, yeah. which is fair. I mean, that's that's a and that's not a bad thing. That's not like pejorative. It's just his character, but he's also very useful in this movie. He also is very capable and very in his own way very intelligent, very passionate and very honorable as well and then Raphael and Leonardo are the two I don't know if I know who technically is like the oldest and then the second oldest but it always struck me as Raphael and Leonardo are kind of the older brothers and then Donatello and Michelangelo are like the younger brothers gotcha so and in this movie I think that's pretty obvious because they each pair up in their different ways Leonardo and Raphael they're adversarial and Donatello and Michelangelo are kind of not in the background but they're leaning on each other for support for you know encouragement things like that and it was like that in the in the original movie too the more we talk about it the more I realize how much in common this has with the original movie. Mm. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that that I dig it so much. Um, I like the fact that you said Michelangelo is endearing because you do think of him as like the party guy. I mean, that mm-hmm. goes back to like the original song, mm-hmm. right? Or the, the theme song. Michelangelo is a party dude. 
Michelangelo is always the one that's just kind of trying to like lighten the situation, like just get every, everybody get along, you know, type of thing. When we were playing Ninja Turtles, not you and I, before when I lived in down the street in the different city, like when all my friends got together, like I was Donatello when we we're play fighting in like the backyard. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know why, but I always got Donatello and his bow. I was uh, Raphael is my favorite. It seems like he's the strongest. I think physically he's become, that's become his signature, especially in the fucking Michael Bay movies. He was just this roided out, you know, giant turtle, even though they were all massively nine feet tall and whatever. But yeah, he's the one who, there's a gag in the second one where April comes home and this is after they have secret of the ooze or secret, yeah, Se- secret of the ooze. Okay. Secret of the ooze. Uh, this is after, after the first one where they have to vacate the sewer den and they go live in April's apartment and she comes home and the apartment's a mess and she goes around cleaning up stuff from each one of them. And I think she picks up Leonardo's ninja magazines or something to imply that he's studious and he's trying to become a better leader. She picks up uh, Donatello's skateboard and then Michelangelo leaves a rubber snake in the fridge as a prank. And she picks up Raphael's, I don't know what it's called, but it's one of those things. My dad had one where you, it's a handle on each end with springs in the middle and you pull it apart as like a chest workout. Yeah, it's how they it's how they escape from Brandon and the Goonies. Yes, that thing. Yes, <laughs> that thing. They tie him up with that in the Goonies. So it's always been him as the he's Rider. I don't know if you call him muscular, the, the 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 fit one, the badass, cool but rude was him in the theme song. Mm-hmm. So in this case, he's painted more as an aggressive one. He's the one who doesn't want to stop fighting. He's like, the one who kind of doesn't know what he would be if he wasn't a vigilante. He snaps Leonardo's swords in half. That's, <laughs> let's just talk about that fight scene because <laughs> shit. That fight scene, seeing it in the theater, not only is it visually beautiful. Oh, with the rain and everything? The rain, the neon lights, the the textures of the turtles, mm-hmm. the, the cinematography, just the close-ups of them, their eyes, the emotion and all that is just incredible. And then the stakes of the fight are... It's, it's really just this boiling point throughout the whole movie where when they face off against each other and then start running across the roof. And I love the part where Leonardo drags his sword across the water mm-hmm. in the roof and it splashes up a little bit. As soon as they hit, it's got such a main event, big fight feel that you're you're just thinking, let's what's going to happen? I don't want any of them to lose, but let's watch this. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. I want you to know that I appreciate your intentions, but you can't change the world like this. He's lecturing. So I'm going to give you one chance to just walk away and stop this vigilante nonsense. Okay, Leo. Time to teach you a lesson. Look, trust me when I tell you. You don't want to do this. Oh, yeah. Well, I noticed you got quite a temper. 
Hey, have you ever done this before? You call that an attack? All right, finally some excitement. And the choreography of the fight. Well, the web, like the mace, like the the weaponry. That's oh what yeah, it's called, the, right? Like the, the ball and the chain. The ball and the chain. The 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 katanas, and and the, the dialogue in that scene. The dialogue is. I think of that dialogue, I don't, I'm not daily, but I remember, <laughs> I can remember several, how can I say this diplomatically, professional situations in which, in my head, I repeat, whoever said I wanted to be led when people are trying to either talk down to me or direct me in a way that's condescending, mm-hmm. I think of that every time. <laughs> whoever said I wanted to be led, because... The culmination of that fight scene has to do with Leonardo trying to assert himself as leader of the Turtles and Raphael pushing back saying, who made you leader? Obviously, Splinter did, but Mm -hmm. actually, I don't know if Raphael thinks he would be a better leader. He just knows he doesn't want to be dictated to. He knows that he is capable of calling his own shots. He always kind of like bucks the team, right? Like he he's more comfortable just being a solo ninja. Hot-headed and yeah. and yeah, and and that that whole the whole dialogue between them where they talk about where Leonardo says, "I'm just trying to be a better leader. Why do you hate me for that?" And then Raphael says, "Whoever said I wanted to be led?" Mm-hmm. That's that's Emotional. Yeah, well, then the, I brought up the quote on IMDb uh, as you were talking about it. He says, Whoever said, said I wanted, I wanted to, to be, be led? led? I'm better off calling my own shots now. Get used to it. You aren't ready. You're impatient and hot tempered, and more importantly, I'm better than you. <laughs> oh, you know something, big brother? I'd have to disagree with you on that one. Don't do this, Raph. I'm done taking orders. I'm I'm better better than than you. you. Holy shit. When he said (laughs) that. I got chills. (laughs) When he said that, and then then Raphael says, oh, I beg to differ with you. Yeah, he says, oh, you know something, big brother? I'd have to disagree with disagree you on that one. Disagree on that one, yeah. And then they, and, and then, then they, this is after he gets unmasked. There's that awesome shot of Leonardo. Oh, you up, know, as soon as he uppercuts, uppercutting him, and Raphael does this big tumble backwards, and the helmet, the night night watcher helmet, flies off, and Leonardo gasps like he can't believe it's Raphael because originally he goes up to chase him as the night watcher, and there's a funny part where. Leonardo starts monologuing and sort of under his breath in the mask. Raphael says something like, I can't believe he's going to give me a speech or something (laughs) like that. And that goes back to the introduction of Casey Jones. The kind of the bummer about this movie was in the 1990 movie, Casey Jones was such a big part of it and was such a cool part of it here. He was cool and he was like visually cool and, and contributed, but wasn't that level. I don't think. And that was kind of a bummer, but he's got one of the best lines too, where he, he follows Raphael as the night watcher catches up with him and then 
with no fanfare just says hey Raph and he take Raphael takes off the helmet or something like that and he says how'd you know it was me and Casey Jones says well you look like kind of a big metal turtle <laughs> and that for me that was hilarious I just I thought that was that was just it was clever in its simplicity because like yeah he does look like it yeah. I mean who wouldn't know that like Leo it's like it's, it. like it's like Superman when he puts on the glasses and becomes right. Clark Kent hope I'm not disturbing class hey Night Watcher need any teaching assistance Casey. <laughs> I got this one covered, pal. Thanks, but no thanks. You think you own these rooftops? I happen to think you could use my help. And I could use a sidekick. You may have everyone else fooled, but you haven't fooled me, Raph. Yeah, well, guess what, pal? Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. How'd you know it was me? Wasn't that hard, man. You know, you look like a big metal turtle. Uh, is that obvious, huh? I, uh, I'm going to just put this out in there in, in the world of after watching this movie of what I want. Okay. I want a Casey Jones Logan. Old man Casey. Old man Casey. That's kind of what the last Ronin is with, I won't say who, but the turtle. But I and, want Casey. Yeah, no, I, I'm. My I'm, favorite line of his in this is he goes, y'all know I just got a wooden bat, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, he's, he's, it's a very, it's a different take. And again, it just goes to show how many different ways they can be interpreted because he is, he's similar to him and Raphael are antagonistic, not in the way that Raphael and Leonardo are, but he and Raphael, Raphael, I think is maybe not so much in this movie, but in the general canon is envious of Casey Jones because Casey Jones is Raphael, but human. Mm-hmm. So Casey Jones can go out in the daytime. Casey Jones can have a life. Casey Jones can get appreciated for the stuff that he does. Raphael, can't, Raphael yeah. can't do that. And I'm not sure if I thought of that or if I stole that from Rudy. I feel like or it might have been you that I stole that from. No, I, this is blowing my mind. I like it. Somebody said that or somebody said something similar to that. Kind of sounds I won't like t- Jeremy inside. Maybe. He's the smart one. I won't take full credit for that. <laughs> but the relationship between Casey and Raph is always very complicated. Mm. Um, and in this movie, Casey plays the... He's not so much a secondary character, but him and April are less the focus than the Turtles. And that's fine. They just sort of fall into the roles where they're needed. April is the... She's sort of the bridge between Winters and the Turtles. And then he's her boyfriend. Casey's her boyfriend. And so he's in this weird limbo state where he he's he's dealing with Winters and he's also trying to calm down Raphael and stuff like that. I feel like I'm rambling here. But no, no, no. Because that's, that's one of the dynamics I also like. One of my favorite parts... What I, I can't say it's my favorite part, but one of the scenes that really sticks out to me about dynamics and relationships is Raphael comes down the fire escape and is like, Casey, man, let me talk to you. You know, like come up on the roof. And so Casey does leave and April looks out the window and oh, just yeah. goes, be careful. Witnesses say there are holes in the floors as if something or someone had just blasted straight down through them, leaving authorities scratching their heads. <sighs> well, at least some people care about justice these days. Hey, Casey! Raph, meet me on the roof, okay? What is it? The roof. You know what the roof is, don't you? Pushy sidekick. 
We've gotten this image in from an amateur cameraman, and I do stress amateur. Casey, come look at this. Be safe. I like the fact that she knows that he's a vigilante, you know, and she just worries for him. But in the same instance, like vigilante is going to vigilante, you know, like this is that's right after she finishes, I think, training in the living room with her like Kill Bill suit and her big katana. She tells him to be safe. So the April character. I so want Jennifer Gardner to play April O'Neil at some point. That'd be nice. What she's like fifty or so now, so the the whole the whole Logan trajectory could certainly be be possible. Most of the iterations of the turtles that we've seen so far, I'm trying to I'm trying to quarterback it and think backwards. There's Mutant Mayhem coming up, which is obviously more of a fun take. Though from what I've heard, there are going to be some. It seems like it's it's rooted in a lot of emotion and a lot of you know the teenage the angst of of. Mm-hmm. of being a teenager i can't obviously confirm that but it sounds like that's kind of part of the story which is awesome before that there was the nickelodeon series which was also really really great there were i didn't watch all of it but but when i did get into it i was blown away by the reimaginings of some of the old villains like they had the rat king who (laughs) in the original cartoon was just kind of this dude who lived in the sewers and was covered with worst part about the video game tape and stuff like yeah tape and stuff like that but in the the nickelodeon one the i think it was 2012 he looks like a plague doctor and is just this creepy really creepy version of the rat king in between there there was rise of the teenage mutant ninja turtles where it was a little bit more stylized and then there's before that other other cartoons and specials and crossovers and all that kind of stuff and i kind of honestly forget the point i was trying to make right now (laughs) and i'm talking hoping that it's going to come back to me but it's not i'll keep talking but it's not coming back to me i was talking about april we were talking about jennifer garner and casey and casey and old man logan and maybe that's my point is just backing backwards maybe that's just my point is that there have been so many iterations of them as kid friendly i Uh think that's what it was that it would be awesome to see a one that skewed a little bit more adult but i also get why they don't want to do that because adults aren't going to go buy action figure well well, there has to be like company excluded, but there has to be a proper time too. I, like I said, like I'm happy of the reemergence with Mute and Mayhem because I'm not done with the turtles. Wolverine was done, you know. Like it was time for Logan to happen. Like where, like, well, Wolverine's it, back now with Deadpool. But I mean, Deadpool <laughs> should have been done. <laughs> um, but like, if we, you know, if you were going to end the turtle saga like i would want it to be old man casey jones just follow him maybe april o'neill's jennifer garner is like trying to locate the turtles because three you, of them are still alive who and, would you play old man casey jones who would you have play old man casey jones oh that's a good question. powers booth no he's uh, is he, he dead, dead? <laughs> you think about it i'm gonna look up all right because who was he in the original? It was Elias Coteus. Elias Coteus. Yep. Who was great. Who yeah. was a perfect blend of badass and genuinely funny. It was it was a perfect... It, the tone of that Casey Jones for that movie was perfect. And that's like... I can't get him out of my mind. Powers Booth, rest in peace. Really? Yeah. Like six years ago. We, we knew you for a brief time. 
Because who would also be... Because they would have to be, in a way, jacked, but old, right? Like, Hugh Jackman was perfect for Wolverine and perfect for Logan. I want a dark-haired... I'm looking at your DVD shelf. I almost want to lie. Like, what's he up to? (laughs) Like, can't we just bring him? Like, that would be amazing. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I mean, he's behind a hockey mask most of the time anyway. I think we should get him on the show and talk to him about old man Casey Jones. He's too big time for us, I'm sure. No. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. Does he not want to talk about his role 33 years ago? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what he looks like nowadays. Although, honestly, look has really very little to do with it. Because in the cartoon, he was <gasps> completely ridiculous. Don't keep it. And and then in the movie, he was uh, Elias Coteus with the long hair and the human look. Still kind of jacked and, and, and feisty. Then in... 2012 version he was a kid and he had the whole day of the dead motif with his mask it wasn't so much a hockey mask i believe he's a kid in the rise of the ninja turtles in the 2003 animated version he looks the most like he does in tmnt so in tmnt he's more just this kind of jacked but like svelte dude hockey mask tommy lee from I wouldn't have said that, but I can see Motley your point. Crew. I can see your point. Who are you thinking? Um, just because he's one of my top three favorite actors. Wait, let me see if I can guess. Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, I saw, um, <laughs> what is it up there? Uh, End of Watch. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like one of my favorite cop movies. Sure, why not? Yeah, why not? I mean, that would be cool. And Old Man Casey, there's not a ton of, the, Casey's kind of a, a one-note character in all of the iterations, which isn't to say he doesn't have stories and doesn't have development, but it doesn't go nearly to the level of the Turtles or the Foot Clan mythology or, or anything like that. And you would have to fight, like... I've said mythology in the past <laughs> month since talking about this movie in Hancock more than probably my life. I think, like, when it comes to, like, what old man Casey would be, you would have to find somebody that... Because it's always going to be tired, right? It's going to be like the first thing. And that's why I love Badflex so much. Because he played the tired right. Bruce Wayne. old man Batman. Bruce Wayne. Yeah. yeah. And so, I think about Jake Gyllenhaal and I think about Nightcrawler, right? Like, And I think about the ways that he could probably... Those little intricacies that he could bring to the role of like a guy who's been fighting crime himself... <laughs> You think Lou Bloom would be a good uh, a good Casey Jones? <laughs> I do love that movie. It would be great. It would be. It would no matter who played it. It would be some. It would be a new dip into the TMNT property. And I almost wanted to be like one of like the top storylines of the film to be locating the turtles who are in hiding. And actually, now that. And there's only three of them because one died. And so, like, as you're watching the movie, you don't know which one died. Like, reverse the Ronin aspect, right? I think, and I don't know if I'm making this up or if I'm conflating it, conflating it with, <laughs> conflating it with Punisher. But I think there's a, I feel like there's a fan film where somebody did a Casey Jones like dark stylized. I know there's a Power Rangers one with James Vanderbeek. Which is awesome. We should do a fan film episode of something. That's a good idea. Yeah. Oh, wait. Here it is. Casey Jones, 2011 short, 35 minutes. It's uploaded by, on YouTube, it's uploaded by, the name is Me Nuts 420 <laughs> which is great. Uh, Rudy and his names. <laughs> me, yeah, me Nuts 420 And I believe this is it. It's a 35-minute 
short fan film that has the dark tone Casey Jones. It's it looks visually most closely to the 1990 movie, but and it's not exactly what you're asking for, but it's pretty close. Nice. And yeah, it's just this whole discussion has just served to show that anyone with an imagination can take Ninja Turtles and spin it into something maybe not perfect, but something that's still largely entertaining. I can't think of a Ninja Turtles entry that has not been in some way entertaining. Yeah. Well, you can always like find like a part of your personality in one of them. So like you have something to follow. For me, I think the the worst one or the one that I enjoy the least is probably the third movie. And even that I found myself watching and chuckling at and enjoying more than than I remember as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I think it just underscores the longevity and the fact that we, we'll, we will be dead before Ninja Turtles is dead. It was still a... I mean, it was a cool story. It was a good idea. It was, it, I mean, it was the same thing that Back to the Future did. Mm-hmm. You know, we here's our third installment, so we're going back in time. <laughs> and it, the, the first one just set such a high bar yeah. that there was no way. And that's but, where I think my least favorite is Secret of the U's just because it felt rushed to me. Well, it was. And there were a lot of handcuffs. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but the turtles never use their weapons against the foot soldiers in that movie yeah, because of parent groups complaining and stuff like that. I mean, it was largely done to, to just dip and dip and dip into the property to sell more toys or mm. whatever. And it's, I mean, it's still enjoyable. It's still part of the turtles. It's still, it's still fun. It's just, it's turtles is just, they're great. It's just great. What Rushmore episode did we do where I brought Raphael? Best Vigilantes. Best Vigilantes. Mm -hmm. And make it. And we argued that I thought Rudy was going to bring Casey Jones. Uh, and I didn't bring either of them, so shame on no, me. I brought it as a, like I was like sure pick. That's when no I thought, way that MC is not going to let like I'm going to bring his favorite turtle. That's when I thought. Uh, what were we talking about before? Oh, the similarities between Raphael and Casey Jones. That that came up during that episode, and I don't uh, think it was me who brought it up. So I can't take full credit for it. You ready for five questions? Cowabunga! <laughs> Hit me. Is TMNT 2007? That's how they referenced this. Um, a sequel to the trilogy. I would say not officially, though canonically it references the original trilogy because at the end of TMNT, you see the uh, Raphael turns over his Nightwatcher helmet, which, oh, I forgot about that. That's actually really cool. He turns over his Nightwatcher helmet to Splinter, signaling that he's ready to be a part of the team and is done trying to go out on his own. And Splinter puts it up on a shelf in the sewer den next to which you see the... You see Shredder's helmet, you see the TGRI, ooze canister, and you see mm-hmm. the Time Scepter. Mm-hmm. So, it's a very... I remember seeing that in the theaters and, and gasping because up until then, the only thing that was common between the other movies was the fact that it was Ninja Turtles. Um, and then, you know, the Foot Clan and Casey Jones, they all existed, but that specifically brought those artifacts into the universe. So, I think, I think you could say it's an unofficial, maybe not sequel, but an unofficial... Addendum. I don't know what this necessarily means. It is the fourth theatrical Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film and a standalone sequel to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. I don't know if I, I, I've heard. I mean, standalone sequels, basically, you can watch it and it'll still make sense. You don't have to see the uh-huh. other three for it to make sense. Okay, that makes, I mean, that word makes sense now to me. But I mean, you didn't have to see 
the first one for the second one to make sense or the third one. This Even. is an interesting question. All right, go ahead. How old are the turtles in 2007? In the 2007 film? How old are their characters? How old are the, yeah, how old are the, like, are there, what age? What specific age? Are there, is there an actual answer for this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is. <laughs> I, I don't think they say this in the movie. This has to be conjecture. I, are they all the same age or are they different ages? All the same age. 15? Nope. According to Kevin Monroe, who I think was director. The, yeah. Yeah. Writer, director. They're 19. 19? Mm-hmm. That's weird. <laughs> That's not teenage. This one doesn't wholly... There are... It says, who is the main character in TMNT 2007? The answer is six people. <laughs> uh, Raphael, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello. Nope. No Donatello. <laughs> <laughs> so, three of the turtles, but not him. Uh, Winters. Nope. April? Yep. Casey? Yep. Splinter? Yep. That's ridiculous. Poor Donatello. Disagree. <laughs> Wholly disagree. All right. That was three. Question four. What is the movie about? Uh, we like touched on everything. Rewind about an hour and there's your answer. It's about a, it's a standalone story about the Ninja Turtles dealing with unleashed monsters trying to save New York City. I think. Actually, that brings up, so the end of the movie, Winters is trying to capture all 13 of the monsters to complete his master plan. And the, or no, is it was it Winters or was it the generals trying to capture all the monsters? I think it was the generals because the generals captured Leonardo thinking that he was a monster. They said something like, not human, but not a monster. Winters won't know the difference. And that I thought was kind of poignant because... It talked about or it, it alluded to the fact that the turtles, even though they're not monsters, are seen as monsters. Do you remember this at mm -hmm. all? Yeah. So I guess the plot summary, the elevator pitch, the log line would be the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles battle 13 dangerous monsters while navigating the turmoil within their own family. Something like that. I like it. This one, the Teenage Terrapins. Yeah. What is it? Turtle. Is it turtle? Yeah. That's just the, the... Must somehow renew and strengthen their bond if they are to have any hope of defeating an evil industrialist's army of ancient monsters. Tomato. I like that they called it industrialist, you know, because I, I just always said general, but it's like, oh, yeah, that dude... Oh, no, he was basically a, Billy, a rich... Yeah. He was the classic rich guy, <laughs> bad guy with a weird origin story. So then the fifth question, because then the question's like all go around to different movies and whatnot. Okay. Um, one of the questions was, who is the second oldest Ninja Turtle? And they do whatever canon says it is Raphael, mm -hmm. um, which you said as well. But the question that I think, if we have parents watching this, is TMNT appropriate for kids? Fuck yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't it be? Fuck yeah. It's, yeah, it's ideal for kids. It's bright and vivid, but it's also got elements of emotion, everything from anxiety and self-doubt to teamwork and collaboration and family. Yeah. The, uh, the internet says no. It's not suitable for kids. Oh, why not? As usual, there is plenty of comedy in the film, but it deserves its M rating with some intense violence and disturbing it's scenes. Rated, wait a minute. It's a movie. It's rated PG? It's got to be. It says PG on the back of this. Yeah. But for whatever reason, this is M. 
make it unsuitable for under 12s who may want to see it because they're owners of TMNT toys and other merchandise. Here's something. What? <laughs> that I... What, yes, what there's fighting and kids might emulate the fighting, but like really... You did it. I never did it. But I mean, like martial arts for children and to learn how to center yourself and to only fight for good, you know, like all the things that you get out of those trainings, like I wholly believe that you should put your kids in those kind of classes, especially like I'm not going to go off on a tangent. about No, please do. Now's the time. I don't have an organized religion or whatnot, but the one thing that I think like we're getting away from with not having organized religion is the teaching of moralities and morals and stuff like that. And we're letting TikTok and everything teach our kids how to be children or, you know, how to have a childhood and YouTube videos and YouTube influencers and stuff like that. Like putting your kids in a class or a Sunday school or a religion, like whatever it is, but having kids learn to be good people somehow other than the internet is necessary in this day and age. And I think Taekwondo or any kind of martial arts on that front and, and, and centering themselves and whatnot, my main focus with my summer camp this year with my kids is 1230 to one, we have Zen and we just all sit around and we figure out like we have guided meditations and stuff like that because our kids are overstimulated. Dude, I want to come to your summer camp. <laughs> I don't know. I did martial arts for 11 years and I, I know that the landscape of martial arts and the business aspect of, of, school uh martial arts schools and things like that is different than when i was a kid but i hear what you're saying it's the tenants that i grew up learning the main thing that i took away from martial arts was the concept of a team and the concept of a family really because all the people well most of the people that i did martial arts with are still in my life in a very big way and not just those specific people but the people i would go on to meet because of the confidence i gained through martial arts or because of the compassion that i gained through martial arts or because of the the loyalty and things like that that's my what do you call it? The Nexus event, I suppose. That's a Nexus event in my life was doing martial arts and, and, and everything that resulted from that was largely positive. And I think what you're saying is it's a good place to learn those types of things. Yeah. I'm sure there are plenty of YouTubers and TikTokers who are trying to enlighten people in their way through those, you know, using those values and tenets or whatever. But I know that kids are not going to stop wanting to be energetic, running around, whatever it is, wrestling, play fighting, all that. That's just instinctual. Yeah. And they should. And this is a, not just this movie, but the Ninja Turtles in general are a positive example of the good things. Or I, that's kind of redundant, but an example of the good things that martial arts can teach. Yeah. Well, like we said earlier, like the Ninja Turtles are all different. So you can be different mm -hmm. and included at the same time. One of the things that I, I feel like I read this a long time ago, but uh, I don't know if this was intentional or if this is something that somebody just kind of backdoored and reverse engineered, but the weapons that each of the turtles use are specific for a reason. So for example, 
Raphael is the most, he's the hothead, he's impatient, he's uh, brash and reactive. The size, the three-pointed daggers that he uses are traditionally a passive weapon. I think they were used by, like, law enforcement to... You know, they, they, it was like, you don't, you don't, you don't go into battle taking them out and swinging them around. Mm -hmm. So the, the story goes that Splinter gave those to him because that was his weakness. His weakness was being patient. So he trained with the weapon that's rooted in patience. Donatello is a complex machines kind of guy. He's, he's got the intelligence and the moving parts and he's very, you know, plan oriented and things like that. The bow staff is just a simple piece of wood. So he's got a making an extension of his hand through being creative and through stretching him, his natural instincts. Michelangelo is kind of the opposite. He's all over the place. And the nunchuck is the weapon that if, if you are all over the place can injure you the most, you have to control it. You have to make it so that it's a part of you. And so that you're the one focusing your energy in a way that's productive. And then Leonardo with the katanas, that's the most honorable of the weapons. So Leonardo is sort of being forced to bring himself up to the level of the mythology uh, mythology <laughs> of the of the katanas. And like I said, I don't know if that's something that the creators had in mind when they were making this silly comic back in the 80s, or if that's something that somebody just reverse engineered from you know, hey, wouldn't it be cool if there was a reason for each of these? Let's yeah. see if we can figure one out. But I always thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So you brought it back to the original creators. Now it was like a spoof and everything. TMNT 2007. Final thoughts? It's my second favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. I think it is... If you go out and watch this, one, there are so many images in this film that could be a poster, right? Like just when it comes to Raphael going down a cable with his size, like... The beautiful imagery that we talked about in the fight. Like, there are some beautiful images. One, go see the original if you haven't from 1990. Then see TMNT 2007. And with those two films, I think you can be nothing but hyped for this mutant mayhem that is coming out. I would agree with that. I think that this movie was such a pleasant surprise. And I feel like even though that was 16 years ago, it would be the same if you're seeing it for the first time today. If you have even a little bit of knowledge of the Ninja Turtles, or you've seen one of the other movies, seen the cartoon, played the video games, whatever, and you just kind of haven't been exposed to this movie, it is worth a watch. And at the very least, it's a quick watch. It's an easy watch. You will have lost nothing, but chances are you're going to see and you're going to watch it and you're going to think, wow, that was actually pretty decent. The fight scene between Leonardo and Raphael, I wrote it in my haiku, best turtle fight yet. I can't think of a better one unless there's one out there that I just haven't seen, which is possible. Yeah, nothing else. YouTube that. Yeah, for sure. So, with that said, T-U-R-T-L-E power to you, the listener, for this episode of Second Chance Cinema. We're almost done with season three, aren't we? We only got our appreciation episode left. Well, it's been a ride. It's been a, it's been a journey. So, for this uh, episode of Second Chance Cinema, it's been radical. It's been tubular. It's been awesome. It's been bodacious. It's been bossa nova. It's been cowabunga, for sure. Has there ever been an instance of cowabunga other than... Michael, or is that like a surfer thing? Like it started with the surfers, and then Michelangelo started saying it. I never heard it before. I never or prior to Ninja Turtles, and then every time I heard it after that, I thought of Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. 
It's probably back from like the 70s or something. I don't know. I think I might make some pizza for dinner tonight in honor of this. Awesome. (laughs) And you should do the same, listener. Whip up some pizza with pixie sticks and Pringles and sardines and lamb shank, whatever they put on their Ninja Turtle pizza. Make it the best pizza you can. Send your recipe to Spro so that he can live out his dream. I know. I just got to find it. It's there, man. There's a recipe out. There's got to be a recipe for... Ninja Turtle pizza? Cartoon Ninja Turtle pizza. It's the, it's the cartoon one. That Michael, it's always Michelangelo eating it and the cheese, the cheese melt is just right. Like, I get the pizza where if the cheese, you know, if the cheese catches, the entire slice of cheese comes off. Watch the beginning of Ninja Turtles 2. Okay. That's exactly what you're describing, <laughs> is the deliciousness of the stretchy cheese. I can't imagine, knowing what I know about food styling, I wonder if it was even actually cheese. rubber cement. Industrialized rubber foam or something like that, yeah. All right, so for my good friend Spro, I am MC, thanking you for listening. We're almost at the end, and we appreciate you. Send us recommendations, send us critiques. Download our episodes because that really helps. And do share. Tell people, hey, I listened to this conversation between these two good friends. And you know what? It was okay. Absolutely. And we're putting together season four. So send us your recommendations for what you want to hear. And we will catch you next time for Second Chance Cinema. Thank you so much for joining us. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you could reach us at secondchancecinema at gmail.com. That's 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You could find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2ndchancecinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? Now go on and have a beautiful day, you wonderful person, you. And if it's not a beautiful day outside, stay in and rediscover a gem from the past. (laughs) 